Hello, welcome to the Mag Life. I'm Daniel Shaw, and I am here with a guest that uh, you've probably seen around. He's made a bit of a podcast circuit and uh, quite a name for himself out in the, the training world. Uh, Ed Calderon, how to man? Pleasure to have you. And uh, it's my first time meeting him, so and I, I as has an excellent reputation. I am not going to get into that. I'm going to let him do it. Welcome to the show, Ed. Uh, thank you for uh, the, the invitation. That's a... So people who have no idea what you do and, 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 uh, and who you are, can you just give us a quick skinny on, uh, on what, the, what you do and, and who you are? Yeah. Uh, I grew up in Tijuana, Mexico, uh, uh, born in the eighties uh, out there. Uh, so I got to see the whole weird shift with, when it came to cartels in Baja. Uh, then decided to go into police work when I was, uh, when I turned 21, uh, in Mexico, uh, I was part of a experimental police group that, uh, was the, the, the Mexican government made an attempt to Americanize police forces in Mexico. Mm. And I was part of a, uh, a program that tried to do that. Um, uh, well, you ended up in America, so it must've worked, right? Uh, it, uh, it, it worked for a while, you know? Worked for a while. Uh, I got to work uh, all across the uh, the northern border in Mexico, and some parts in central Mexico, Mexico, Mexico as well. Um, after 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 twelve years of doing uh, counter narcotics executive protection uh, work with a few governors and a few high ranking individuals in, in Mexico, uh, things became unsustainable. You know, rules changed. Uh, people that were fired got hired back and uh, uh, I got an offer that I couldn't refuse. So I had to refuse it and basically flee. Uh, that was, uh, that was about five, almost five years ago. Uh, came to the U S immigrated. Um, and I've been taking some of the experience that I had down South and putting it, in, putting it into the uh, teaching community uh, with things related to, just moving in places that are very unpermissive. Uh, is that what you uh, primarily do? Is your 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 area of expertise or your I, I call it my quest for expertise? I don't believe I'm an expert in anything yet. I'm still working on it because um, I learn new stuff all the time. But is that uh, the the movement and E and E and things like that in non permissive environments or more of the cartel type stuff? Yeah. Dealing. So I, I do. Uh, I'm known for a few things. Uh, you know, escape and evasion is one of the it's a, it's a terminology that is used a lot in the U.S. because most of the escape and evasion, uh, most of the SEER uh, type uh, training and classes uh, uh, in the states are usually done by people that were that went through mil that, that were in the military that went through mm -hmm. some of the training themselves. Um, I did not get my training from the military. Uh, most of the stuff that I know related to getting out of handcuffs, breaking handcuffs, getting out of zip ties, uh, figuring out how somebody might set up an ambush on you to you know, snatch you in the middle of an airport somewhere in Mexico. All that stuff I learned directly from the people that did it um, and working against some of these people, um, seeing their browsing histories, um, getting to talk to them for a few hours, uh, interrogating some of them. During investigations um, type things? Yeah, yeah. Uh, going to safe houses and seeing how they were being uh, beheld, finding a few laptop computers with the uh, with the browsing history still there, and seeing what they were kind of into as far as what they were looking at. Um, 
and also training a large amount of uh, current uh, active police uh, uh, police and military in Mexico that still send me material and still kind of keep me up to date with what's going on. Uh, most of the things that I'm known for in the training field kind of relate to my experience in non-permissive environments like Mexico, how to arm yourself in places where you can't be armed, um, how to manufacture things to get you out of handcuffs and ties, um, that type of stuff. Um, social engineering more on a uh, more on a Mexico type setting where you know uh, you know uh, teach people how to how to create gift phones for for when they travel you know to give a give a prepaid phone card a uh, prepaid phone with credit on it to a valet at a hotel somewhere so they can then kind of like call them in case they need any sort of uh, information on on a on an area or something like that in nature. Hmm. Uh, like I'm known for that. Uh, I've done training like that and uh, and uh, presentations for Secret Service, FBI. Uh, uh, yeah, I want to get that across. You know, a lot of folks, when they talk about um, the, some of the things that you just mentioned right there, we usually see a person who, I don't want to give physical descriptions. I'm not going to do that. But the, the, the person that I picture that I've seen, heard talk about those things and teaching those things in videos and that kind of stuff, it's clearly somebody who's never done it, who's never who's never been like right in the face of this. It's the expert that they find after something happens and they're on the local news channel. And you're like, where did they find this guy? He was just wrong about everything, you know, but he's trying to sell some snake oil or something like that. So we're, we're talking um, Ed is potentially the most reputable person in the U.S. doing this as it relates to particularly Mexico. Um, and so uh, just to clear that up for anybody in the audience who's, who's listening to this, and like, who is this guy? Like, uh uh, he's he's as legit as they come. Matt, I want to I want to come back and, and talk about the people trafficking thing because, from my understanding, sure. you have a lot of information on that, but I'm gonna that here shortly. Um, sure. Just because I, I I think that there's a lot of misunderstandings about all that, but I've got a question that just popped in my head from everything that you just said and and kind of the way you said it, and it, it may sound stupid, but um, I'm I'm really curious. What scares you? Uh. Wow. Uh, a lack of purpose probably is the most scary thing I've, I've ever encountered in my life. That's awesome. uh, lack of purpose is probably the scariest single thing that I've ever faced in my life. Uh, and if you were ever in the military, and I know that I share this with a lot of people in the U.S. side that were in military circles or even law enforcement circles, you know, uh, the day after you're off, you know, yeah, you know, when you're when you're aimless. That is probably the thing I most fear. You got to find a new uh, mission. Yeah, uh, being aimless is probably the, the, the that's probably the the thing that the, 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 you know people think. Hey, yeah, aren't you afraid of the uh, aren't you afraid of the cartels coming after you and shit like that? If I was, I wouldn't have gone into this line of work tw- uh, when I was twenty one. Uh, so that's uh, that specifically that specific thing doesn't really kind of make me lose sleep. What does make you lose sleep is ha- having gone through that whole experience and uh, not making it worth it or not giving it some sort of purpose or, or doing uh, something with it and about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like so lack of purpose is probably the scariest thing, you know, for me. Let me change that around a little bit based on everything, you know, you don't have to go into details or anything. I mean, you're welcome to um, the uh, what, what should we be scared about? You know, like the American public or people on the border that were in close proximity or anywhere. That's a that's a pretty interesting question. I think one uh, one thing that makes me as a 
you know, I'm a permanent resident. I'm a green card holder. I'm working towards my citizenship. I'm paying taxes. You know, if you want to talk about culture shock, you know, the first time I <laughs> this was, I was, uh, you know, I cried a bit, but it's fine. You know, hey, I do. I'm still uh, in culture shock about the taxes I have to pay. Like every, okay. every paycheck okay. I get shocked. I'm, I'm with it. I'm with it. I'm fine. I'm part of this experiment. You know, I'm, I'm on board. Welcome. Um, what, one of the, one of the things that, uh, I freak out with is, you know, the NBA reprimanding a player that bat mouths, uh, that not bat mouth another country like China, um, and seeing cartels in Mexico that are fed by fentanyl from China, pumping that stuff up into the U S, uh, through bogus pain medication, heroin, waste with fentanyl, and seeing all this actually grow during the COVID epidemic when things were supposed to be shut down, you know? Uh, one thing That's I think- That's interesting. They, uh, I, yeah, I'm I think not we, even aware of that. Uh, the only uh, cartel that exponentially grew during the COVID epidemic was a new generation cartel. And I'm going to say, I've said this several times and I always get like weird looks about it. Uh, the, only, the only reason why that is, is because it's based out of out of uh, out of the Pacific side of the ocean in Mexico, and it has control over the ports, mm. and nothing comes out of China without China knowing. So, uh, the only cartel that grew during the COVID epidemic was was the New Generation Cartel, while Sinaloa Cartel was smuggling fentanyl from the U.S. back to Mexico to pump in to put into their product and then send it back to the U.S. Now, if you think about it, it means that there's basically a weird proxy war going on right next door to you or even within your country related to foreign powers working with proxy groups. I think at, at least yeah, it's that's a bit of I've a battleground right now yeah. there's with, with multiple entities being proxies for, for different States. Ideological, uh, you know, not being able to, uh, to say, I mean, your media, uh, Marvel, you know, there's there's certain there's certain companies that can't say bad things about or can say, you know, hey, Taiwan is a country. Well, you know, one of the uh, biggest problems here and this is I, I I dabble in film a little bit and, you know, some documentary stuff and screenwriting and things. And and I've learned a lot about the film industry, you know, in the last few years, um, not enough to to be good in it and make some of the film industry money. Not that much, apparent, unfortunately, but. Um, you know, China, we, they, we, the reason with these studios, they have like one big blockbuster every year, like around Christmas time, usually each, each big studio does that with their big film. Um, but the reason we have like Pirates of the Caribbean 17 or something right now that nobody in the U.S. cares about is the Chinese film market is just insane. Yeah. It's huge. They love it. And they love all these stupid films. And, and so we make films all year long that people are like, why are we doing a Fashion and the Furious 25? Because freaking there's a few people in the U.S. who love that stuff. But there's a few billion people basically in uh, in China who love this stuff. And that... um. And those same studios and the same networks and all this stuff who are part of this, you know, 20th Century Fox and like everybody else are there. They're all 21st century now, I guess. They all um, they're all the same owned by the same companies, you know, Disney and, and everybody else. And we cannot anger or get banned in China by even putting something on the nightly news out there. If we do that and we start calling out China too hard, then we're going to have some serious problems and people are going to be losing uh, billions and billions and trillions over over a number of years in the Chinese film market. So uh, anybody reporting so, so, on bad things in China is not going to be friendly. So if we, we could we could agree that they're winning the culture war. Sure, of course. All right, and information war. Information war. And you, you think about 
you know, what they're doing, if they are doing this, I'm not saying it's exactly how I say it, but I don't know, just from just from somebody that worked in Mexico and saw kind of the inception of fentanyl into the uh, into the drug market and how how legalizing marijuana in California led to heroin being grown in traditional marijuana fields and having the ground so leached out from nutrients that the that the heroin that was produced was too low so they looked for options and the option was fentanyl uh, either produced in China or made in in Mexico by Chinese uh, chemists that kind of like started up their own laboratories across Mexico. Now you see that uh, phenomenon grow and wait a second. What is it? We're getting we're getting into some interesting stuff right here. That is not yeah. usually <laughs> this no, the, people, the, people, the, people don't the talk podcast about it, stuff yeah. going on. No, I I I I'm super interested. You know, so we we have it's coming from China, the ports controlled by cartels. And yeah, one, you also have cartels one, that have one. like Chinese working for them. Yeah, I mean the 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 this is this is no this I've been talking about this stuff for years, and I think only in the past two years have I seen mainstream media kind of kind of talk about it a bit more. Um, specifically, the fact that uh, cartels have learned years back that the way they can disappear money that they earn in the U.S. is by putting it into Chinese banking apps mm-hmm. and using uh, basically Chinese fixers to take their money, send it into the Chinese banking. Uh, apparatus and then sending it back to Mexico and the U.S. can't do anything about it. So can we say that the U.S. is losing the economic war? Oh, <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. I, I see news reports all the time of of things, you know, that that are with some high profile individuals um, tied into the political scene. And I, I see what they're doing. I'm like, wow, this is this is clearly money laundering. Like there, there's there's no other explanation or somebody like, for example, I don't usually get political on the show, and I'm not doing that now. But uh, I, I don't know if you've seen Hunter Biden's artwork that he's doing yeah. like with his fingers or whatever, and selling this stuff for like five hundred thousand a pop or something ridiculous. One of them sold for like like th- th- these are all th- th- none of this makes sense. And I, I can give you like twenty more examples of that, but this isn't a this yeah. isn't Alex Jones show, uh, but. I don't know. Like I just I just see the things happening in the open now, which is scary. Mm-hmm. Uh, you see, you see tr- uh, traditional things that you would talk about back then. And I was, you know, I was, I was in Alex Jones territory myself when I would say that, you know, China is, you know, influencing a very specific cartel group in Mexico. And now it's pretty clear that one of the, that there's two giant cartels in Mexico and they're buying for, you know, influence and control over Mexico. Uh, you saw the cartel, the Sinaloa cartel, defeat the military in Mexico, basically ha- having control over a whole state. Now there's a no-fly zone over some of it. <laughs> so, uh, and then you see lithium deposits discovered in northern Mexico, the largest and the, the largest mineable lithium deposits in the country in, in the world. And then you see a massacre of you know Mexico everybody's Mormon. interested in that. Everybody's yeah, well, interested in that. Well, interesting thing, right where that was a, a massacre of Mexican American Mormons happened, right where they, right in the area where that mining is taking place, and also it's the center of one of the biggest drug uh, cartel battles uh, as far as control over the area. Over about two or three cartel uh, groups are fighting over that control over that space, um, and then when you research it a bit more, you realize that there was a Canadian company trying to buy up that land 
uh, mining company uh, trying to buy up that land. And that company was then later bought up by a Chinese company. Mm. So you start seeing all these elements and you start seeing the China, the China factor a lot in some of these uh, places. Uh, and then you start to question shit, you know, um, at least I do. I'm trying to figure out uh, my personal kind of uh, deal with uh, reporting on some of these things, uh, sharing information about some of these things uh, through my social media and through some of the uh, news uh, sources that we support uh, is, uh, you know, just hey, this is going on. You know, why, why, why isn't anybody asking questions about uh about all these new pill presses making bogus pain medication pills or, or just weird standard like emodium pills that are laced with fentanyl what's the, what's the deal with that going on all over mexico now like what what are they what what's the change in the market you know why uh why are you seeing more uh norinco stuff pop up in mexico yeah you know that, that that those are those are weird questions, and I'm sure people that are in the intelligence community on the U.S. side probably know more about this than I do. But the general public should know a little bit more about this and why it's what questions should. That's an interesting point. You know, all throughout history, when we've seen, um, for you know, to be specific, you know, Kalashnikov rifles show up in areas, something is going to occur. We're talking about uh, state sponsor like Russia you know, funding a military or the Chinese funding a military and starting supplying arms. And, and, you know, it's typically easy to build, easy to manufacture, easy to use, easy to maintain AKs, you know, like your Norinkos that you're seeing popped up that are Chinese made. Um, that is, that's an indicator based on yeah. history. Uh, um, man, uh, man pads. You're starting to see man pads show up in Mexico. Uh, it's, it's been a while that they've been showing up, but you're starting to see basically radio controlled rockets. Yeah. Uh, pop up in, in Mexico and some of those look pretty Chinese when I, when I, when I see them. Right. And traditionally uh, the main thing, you, the main, most of the stuff you've seen in Mexico and, and this just coming from me finding barrels of guns in people's backyards and shit like that, that then turn out to be cartel guns. And I've actually, I actually found some of the fast and furious guns uh, way really? back when. Yeah. And a few of them killed some of my friends. Um, down, that uh, that in, that in is the it's, it's one of the the most embarrassing things for me that I, uh, I know it, in, in U.S. history that that whole thing and the fact that no heads have rolled yet over countless Mexican nationals killed by that program and uh, U.S. Border Patrol agent Brian Terry. Uh, I raised so I'll I'll say one thing I raised over four thousand dollars for the Ryan Terry Foundation this in the, this year. Uh, and a charity drive, and I got a lot of shit for it, you know. <laughs> uh, but I also, uh, I've also been raising a lot of money for some of the uh, orphans left behind by some of those guns uh, that killed some of my friends that I was working with uh, back then. Uh, Next time you do oh, one of those charity uh, drives, you let me know. We support uh, Eric Utrecht's, uh, every We do it every year. The uh, the Brian awesome. Terry Foundation drive awesome. and give uh, stuff for the auction and all that. And I, 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 I want to continue to help that and and fight that. Uh, I, I since I'm a since I'm a children uh, since I'm a child of two countries right now I'm, I'm I'm looking to support whatever I can on both sides and not look like a you know one-sided guy, um, uh, you know if if people know who Ryan Terry is, people should know some of the names of the people that were killed with some of those FN five seven pistols that were working in Mexico. Um, yep. That's what that's what I'm trying to do at least. 
there was a case of one of them. I uh, can't say his name uh, because his, ki- his kid's still uh, still alive and she, she's uh, she's around. Uh, there was a case of one of the people that I used to work with uh, getting shot outside of his house as they were on their way to the park uh, with his wife next to him and the daughter in the backseat. Uh, FM57 pistols were used by the two sicarios that killed him, and they were traced back to the uh, Fast and the Furious guns. Um, he lost his life immediately. His wife died in the hospital, and his daughter lost her arm. Now, this in and of itself is a trap. I mean... It, it infuriated us. It made us look for people. It made us fucking just die with, uh, with the effects it had on us as a group. Now imagine his family. Now imagine his daughter, right? And these are the people that never get kind of called, uh, called or named. No cameras are placed on them. No, nobody's telling their story. Uh, These are the good guys. These these are these are the guys fighting off people with AK-47s and AR-15s with a Colt M4 in semi-auto that has two magazines to it and a soft uh, second chance body armor setup, you know, because we were poor as fuck. We were just doing what we had to what we had. Uh, and to get two skinny kids that were cl- clearly on uh, meth. Uh, get the best of you with a uh, two pistol that were supplied uh, to them by, you know, a foreign entity and, 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 and then, and having that just be the end of you. Supplied, um, to supplied by America that we okay. like to think of ourselves as the good guys, right? Like we did that. That was us. So, so the, I mentioned this because there's the, 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 the thing always comes up with uh, American guns getting pumped, pumped into Mexico. Um, well, guns are no longer just coming from the U.S. They're coming from Africa. They're coming from the Middle East. Some of them are coming from weird uh, big purchases in South America, and some of them are military grade. Uh, there were things that the U.S. probably sold to countries in South America at some point that are now on the black yeah. market. Uh, but that's not the whole of it. You know, there's a lot of other entities now selling guns and. Um, you want to talk about innovation. Mexico is a cradle of innovation when it comes to a lot of the common new tactics that you start seeing out there in battlefields across the world. Um, weaponized civilian drones being utilized against, uh, you know, against the police and military. Um, well, you were, when there's a constant battlefield, yeah, it's, people it's, it's, are learning, adapting. I mean, if anything, I'm a product of my environment. Some of the people freak out with the level of the, the, the amount of things that I know how to do in, in urban environments from, you know, I don't know, like making things, procuring things, uh, making a blowout kit out of shit you buy at Walmart or at a gas station. Uh, those are all things related to the poverty that I grew up in, related to the lack of supply that we had, and just related to the desperation and creativity and just the uh, clear, unsupervised Wild West shit show that I was a part of when it came to work. Um, now the, the criminal side of it, the cartel groups, the, you know, the criminal side of it are doing the same thing. They basically have an open playing field as far as the experimentation. Uh, they have an unlimited budget when it comes to what they can buy and what they can get. And there's been like whole laboratories found out there where people are just trying to experiment that with, with some of these groups are experimenting with everything from, 
you know, drone technology with explosives on it to things reminiscent reminiscent of the IRA uh, mobile mortar setups for inside of a van to to make IEDs now. You know, IEDs have a history in Mexico, but not that not that specific. I think we're starting to see now a whole new shift into specifics of explosives and being utilized uh, more in a more dramatic uh, uh, way against uh, some of the uh, military forces down down south. Um, but it is. It's 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 a it's it's just a giant wild west uh, show basically down there. Well, how do you you have a theory on how you anticipate this to to boil over <coughs> in the next like two years, five years, twenty years? I mean, I personally I foresee some sort of armed intervention by the U.S. into Mexico at some point and within my lifetime. Uh, I used to say within the next five years. Uh, I, I don't know. Uh, you know, politics, politics are changing in the U.S. I thought if Trump was going to stay in office, he would probably see some sort of intervention in, 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 in Mexico, if only because he apparently had some sort of policies that were strong arming the Mexican government to doing what they have to do. In your and opinion, now do you that think that, the Mexican people need that? Uh, U.S. intervention or a bad thing? Uh, no, no, U.S. intervention hasn't led to a lot of good things in recent history. Right. Um, so... You know, I, I say right, and I, I agree with that. Um, you know, yeah. we could uh, we could case study Vietnam, Iraq, we, Afghanistan, we, we yeah. but th- there, there's a in a lot of cases. You know, I, I was in the initial invasion in Iraq, and they went back the next year, OF one, two, and and three, and and the um, you know, I, I was there for the first vote, and I, I saw all the tears, you know, I, yeah. and I, and I saw the happiness, and and uh, even OF one, the people that were just happy that we were there, we screwed up a lot of things. Just like we did in Vietnam, and we we caused a lot of problems, but um, I guess and in some ways most of our hearts were in the right place. So I, I'm curious, you know, how that would plays out in Mexico with our you know super close neighbor. I live in Texas, so it's like my closest neighbor. So I mean, so th- th- let's 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 talk about hypotheticals, right? Uh, the U.S. decides to put the you know every Marine in Pendleton on the border, which has happened before. Mm-hmm. Uh, that didn't stop drug flow coming across the border. That, that, when Trump put the militarized the border and put all the barbed wire up on the San Diego, you know, area, California area, um, the military was deployed and a support role and all of, all of these things happened. Uh, drugs were still coming through that border. So that's something you, that's that's something uh, the country needs to reflect on, you know. Yeah. Um, also, a few of those Marines were actually uh, charged with uh, transporting illegals from the border all the way up, which is completely yep. another thing. But people should look at that specific uh, part of U.S. history, which is recent U.S. history, to try and get a better idea of what it would look like to try and militarize and block off that uh, border. If you're going to plan any sort of aggression and or intervention into Mexico, that's one thing that people kind of need to figure out. You know, a, another thing that people need to kind of like uh, think about is what happens if you cut all drugs, illegal drug flow into the U.S. tomorrow? Uh, I'm sure there would be a lot of things that would happen, but there would be a lot of people with some serious issues and transitioning to other you, drugs. You, and you would see definitely a lot of, be an epidemic. You would see a health crisis in the U.S. that not mm-hmm. even COVID, not COVID, will pale in comparison to some of this. Also, imagine this happening now during COVID. 
Yeah. So that's something that you that that's something that Americans need to kind of consider as well. If that would ha- that were to have to happen, you know, uh, then re- then realize that I think it was announced yesterday that they arrested about 80 Sinaloa cartel active members in, 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 in the U.S. in a big raid, you know, 80. So the whole concept of the yeah the cartels that the Mexican problem is down in Mexico is a foolish thing to consider. Yes, I think 90, 90 illegal cartel run funded grows of illegal marijuana in California were taken apart, which means that there's a thriving cartel presence that not only is making a living in the U.S. without any attachments to Mexico, but it's growing within the U.S. I mean, it's the circle of uh, as far as how it's funded, how it protects its interests, how it distributes. All of that is a closed circuit within the U.S. It's not depending on Mexico anymore. So the, the you know, a lot of immigrants uh, or a lot of pro-immigrants or pro-open borders people like to say that the border crossed us, like all this type of stuff. Uh, the cartels don't respect the border. The, the border doesn't matter to them. Right. Um, you, you, if, We're busy if, arguing if, about a wall. Should we put a wall yeah. up or not, right? And the wall is only like, not even, it's not, a, it's not a solution to the problem. It is one of the tactics that we could use in uh, a, 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 the solution a, a, a to the problem the, the border fence because it's a fence <laughs> the border right. fence will slows people down uh but you're still getting 10 year olds being chucked over the wall by coyotes right right you're still getting people piled into a boat and you know swam across the uh the river you're still getting border breaches of 50 or 60 strong uh, in, uh just groups when it's a moonless night with fog in places like Tijuana, where the border is at the most fortified. And if there's any border patrol agents out there, tell me that I'm lying about that. Uh, but it's like, we're seeing a surge that is, is pretty substantial. And realistically, border breaching, the breaching of that wall uh, of, the, uh, of, the, of the new fence that they have set up and stuff like that, you know, what the border patrol needs is more money and more, more people. Uh, and more technology, more equipment, and more people, and better working conditions. They need As the, the U.S. government and the people, because the government's yes. not going to do it. They're just elected by and, us, and we keep electing morons. We need them, to, and, the people, to be pissed off and understand that, like we, it's not just about the wall. Like we need to do more than just a wall, right? Like we, yeah, are, yeah. we're we're separated mm-hmm. by a hundred miles from a battlefield. That's that's you just said, state sponsored. Basically, they're not terrorists. They're they're more after money than ideology changes, but. There are, there are, they call, we call the, they call them shock grupo uh, de choque or shock groups. Uh, there are operational, eighty strong, even more sometimes operational groups of just convoys of armed, homemade armor vehicles, full auto rifles, fifty cows, dudes kitted up head to toe with this, with Wi-Fi, cell phone disruptors on their shoulders and stuff like that. That is not happening across the ocean that is right. not happening in like i don't know if you fly from san diego to mexico city like three hours that is happening five minute a five minute walk from the border in places like mexicali which is uh right next to el centro these overt guerrilla type forces that some of these cartels are kind of creating for themselves that are moving openly that's happening five minutes on the border. 
you know, and and some of the people that work within these forces also work on the U.S. side, you know. Yeah. Uh, and again, like when I when I when I talk about the the border patrol needing more people and more more you know equipment, more funds, I don't say it because I saw it on the newspapers because I heard it from them. Like right. I've, 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 I've done training for members of the border patrol recently and in the past. And, you know, the wall is the, the border fence helps them basically slow people down. But, you know, it doesn't matter if it's it slows people down when there's a breach of a, how many people running uh, across that border and how many agents are on that border. Uh, you think two agents, three agents, four agents are enough to round up a bunch of people that will let themselves be caught, you know? If they, if they will let themselves get caught, they could probably handle it. But when you run across somebody who is not going to let themselves get talk, caught, you're you're in a lot of trouble. Uh, th- th- think about it. Uh, uh, traditionally, some of the some of the stuff you see on the border has been controlled by the Sinaloa cartel, and they're pretty standoffish as far as trying to create attention for themselves. As far as uh, I mean, you always hear the stories of uh, yeah the. The cartels might put an Islamic extremist into the country and stuff like that, right? We know that happens. Um, the Sinaloa cartel has been traditionally kind of like standoffish when it comes to some of that shit. They they really they don't want to bring the wrath of the U.S. government on. Okay, well that's uh, that cartel. Can I can I ask you about that though? The um, sure sure. We, we see that on the news every once in a while. Uh, Islamist, you know, some propaganda and some things found around there. Sure. Um, dude, is that a, a something that's, that's occurring that that you've seen? take place Islamist extremists crossing the border it's occurring it's occurring now only because they can hide in the mass amounts of people moving with those caravans across the country yeah traditionally cartel groups have not touched islamic extremists have not related to them they don't want to be labeled as terrorists they don't want the attention that that would bring to them so traditionally it's been an like a unwritten rule and unspoken rule to not deal with anything related to uh, Islamic extremists in, in in the border towns, but that is changing. It's changing only because some of the new generation people, some of the people that are coming up as, uh, within some of these cartel forces down there, have no such rules. Didn't learn such rules because most of the people that are replacing, that are coming up, all the people that are now in leadership positions, are replacing people that died violently, that were arrested in a raid and then sent to the U.S. and now live in a supermax somewhere. Or just people that don't give a shit about that because uh, because the U.S.'s influence, you know, internationally is kind of waning at the moment. So it's not something that they really specifically fear. I don't know if that makes sense. No, it totally does. It, it totally does. I mean, that uh, that's that's so man. Just uh, us, the U.S. being who we are and what we do, they've kind of stayed away from it. But now it's like even that level of respect that's kept that from happening is waning and. That's a uh, newer generation, I guess you could say. That that's a scary thing too. You know, I I I spent a lot of years studying uh, Islamist extremists while I was on active duty, just to um, to better understand my enemy. You know, and, and and who wants to kill us? And and there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of parallels in the savagery, but it seems like the motivation is is different between the two. If, if you could classify threats to the U.S. right now. Uh, and this might be a bit of a jump for you. Um, the biggest threat to the U.S. right now. What do you, what do you think that is? You know, not. I think it's a. I think it's a generational threat that the U.S. is facing right now. It's facing. Uh, I mean, so let's let's start here. The the 
the Trump administration, you know, refused to categorize the cartels as a terrorist, uh, as uh, cartels as, as terrorist organizations, you know. Um, and there was a, probably a big reason that, that that happened related to immigration, which I can get into. Uh, but previous administrations haven't been good about that as well. And it's not a political thing. It's not a political party thing. It's just they don't they they they, they use that. They, Trump probably used it as a pressuring element against the Mexican government to get it to police its own border, southern border. That's what probably happened. Um, but are they are cartels terrorist organizations? You know, I don't think they meet the definition of of terrorists as, okay. as it's written right now. So, so it's a it's a weird thing where you say, "Hey, that over there is a threat, and that's the only thing we're going to worry about. This night we're going to evolve. This is the threat. This is this this is the definition. So, if it has that in it, let's let's go after. If it doesn't, it's fine." Which yeah, I don't is like that idea. <laughs> that's 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 the argument, right? So, are they political? Are cartels political in nature? Sure. We just saw the most the most uh, amount of assassinations and political killings during an election cycle in Mexico in its history. And people being shot on Instagram live. A political so candidate getting shot on Instagram right live. Right there, 100% totally meets the definition okay. of a terrorist and, act. And, and, and it's one cartel group basically killing the, the candidate that is sponsored by the other one. Right. So they're politicized in a way you all. We're also living through a presidency that the president of Mexico has shaken hands with El Chapo's lawyer and made a personal effort to go to where El Chapo's hometown, as far as as far as some of the first years in his presidency, visit his hometown and say hi to El Chapo's mom, you know, in public, you know, in a video. Yeah, that's happening publicly. So. You know, you start piecing all these things. That's together. a message. Like, yeah, it's 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 a mess. It's a it's an open message as far as you know who who the government, the federal government is going to favor. Um, so you see all these things. You know, the 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 cartels are politicized. Um, do they utilize terror tactics to influence people's uh, way that the way people vote? Uh, to influence people from doing one thing or another, extortion, all of these things, you know, they do. Um, they, are they transnational? <laughs> There's been seen a lot of cartel members being arrested in Australia and Indonesia. Yeah. Right? Um, they're in Africa. Uh, they're in uh, China. They, definitely, they certainly have influence on China and China has influence on them. So, yeah. Yeah. So they're, they're transnational, more so than Al-Qaeda. <laughs> Trust me, these guys are more transnational than al-qaeda and they probably have more bodies on if you if you do the math specifically uh you 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 start seeing all these the the piecing all this all this stuff together are they religiously motivated do they have some sort of fanatical belief in something well we can talk we can talk definitions about what you could consider faith or religion you know you technically don't have to have that you know to be a terrorist organization yeah yeah. but you know people want to if people want to make that as part of the definition because that you always get people that want to make their own definition to make them them uh, not fit that. Uh, some of these groups have clear occult cannibalism in them. You know, yeah, it's, it's not uncommon for them to eat the still beating heart out of an enemy in a Jeez. video format and spread it on the internet. 
Uh, it's not uncommon to have certain rituals related to them getting initiated into a group that will, that uh, that has cannibalism in it, you know, or you see a lot of these groups uh, indoctrinating uh, groups of young men and, and, and into their forces by, I don't know, uh, venerating their cartel leader as a date. We have cartel, ex dead cartel members that are now elevated to weird sainthoods. So, you know, it's just a lot of weird shit happening. Um, uh, they're arming themselves in militaristic ways. They set up their own cell phone networks in big parts of the country. Uh, they're they're moving money through Chinese banking, uh, Chinese banking, and they're moving money in metals now. They're utilizing gold as a currency more than anything else. Some of them are going into cryptocurrency as well. Um, you know, I, I when I when I answered a minute ago and said that they <laughs> may not meet the current definition, I mean, there's there's like 20 definitions out there. Um, when you get into the attempting to coerce political or a population through violence or the threat of use of violence. I don't remember the exact definition that I had to memorize in the Marine Corps, but uh, when I was teaching physical security and tactics, um, you know, at the surface, when you look at it, there's, I think a lot of us, myself included, have always thought it was just a money thing. You know, drugs, we see the movies, we see everything else. And, but this is, it's more than that. It's money, but it's, it's power. It's, it's, it's power it's, and, and control. I totally rescind my statement of not meeting. Maybe it doesn't meet some of the government, our government definition, but, and even state funded yeah. terrorism. If China is helping with any of this, that is. An open, open question. Do you think that anything happens criminally in China, like anything at a level of moving fentanyl from one country to another at a scale as it is? Oh no, the Chinese communist any? party totally knows. Okay. Yeah. So. And, and signing because, off on it. Probably with like yeah, so, levels of removal from it, I guess we could say. Exactly. So the, China was utilizing triads to fight against the Hong Kong protesters. Right? So first off, get, get, get rid of that fantasy that a lot of people have out there. They argue against some of these theories uh, that the Chinese doesn't know that some of these things are coming out of its uh, you know, country. You know, they right. know. You know this big, if you want to talk about Big, big Brother, uh, go to Shanghai. And see, and see, and see. If you jaywalk there, you'll get a, you'll get some uh, credits knocked off your reputation score. I mean, shit happens there. People know. Um, so, yeah, it's clearly state-sponsored something is happening yep. in Mexico. Um, and if it, and I think the biggest reason that I've seen that they don't want to give them that uh, that category is probably related to the fact that that would lead into a massive influx of asylum seeking claim uh, claims from Mexicans right who will now have the how now have the refugee status this refugee status because they're running and fleeing from a terrorist organization that has in one way shape or form been influenced by the US's foreign policies so it's and, and what would it do, you know, what, 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 let's say that tomorrow the U.S. said, you know what, these guys are clearly a terrorist organization, so we're going to, you know, treat them as such. Now what? Now what would happen? Well, if it was done properly, it could actually solve that thing that you were talking about earlier with the funding, because whenever we actually are doing something, when they have that definition, it could open up some funding 
which we could probably yeah. open that up without the terrorist definition to help out those border patrol agents and, and people working maybe even south of the border. Now, now, so that, that, that leads me into that question and I, being part of those people that were south of the border that would, that would then get, you know, help from the U S let's say. And, uh, I liaison with the U S, uh, with U S personnel when I was active and, uh, some of it was, you know, you know, they treat us like mushrooms is what we, what we would be told, you know, and I would always be the fluent uh, uh, English speaker in the group. And I would keep my mouth shut and listen to what the Americans would say about us. You know, you have Which very is, little accent. That's that's surprising for not only I went through, I've been here a few years. I went through language school and it's a fake accent. I could, I could change it. You know, if you want, I can speak Mexican. I can speak Spanish like an American. Can so we do that? About sure. Um Disculpame por haber llegado a su podcast sin haber tenido muy consciente lo que íbamos a conversar. Yo soy de los Estados Unidos. That's exactly how Americans sound to Mexicans when they speak uh, Spanish. Anyway. Uh, I, I only speak survival <laughs> Spanish, like talking to pretty girls and, and uh, ordering beer. So I, I don't, I heard podcasts in there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you, you, uh, so let's say you're, the U.S. says we're going to support Mexican efforts to fight against the cartels. That has been happening for fucking years. The U.S. and its tax-paying dollars has been funding and paying for everything from uni- 511 uniforms being worn by police agents in oh, Mexico of course. to H&K uh, selling rifles to Mexican government that then showed up in cartel forces' hands, which is a whole other subject. Um to Ford Motor Company, you know, all those trucks that they run around and they have to be sold through them, you know, to work on that side of the border. And the handcuffs I used for Smith and Weston uh, M100s were paid by U.S. tax dollars. Uh, the training I received, I received training uh, from the U.S. Department of the Navy uh, related to anti-terrorism and then the bodyguarding and, and uh, combat medical stuff. Uh, so even training-wise, you've been doing so. Uh, there are clearly U.S. agents and assets working in Mexico through the DEA and other agencies. You know, the CIA has obviously had a presence in Mexico since uh, the 70s and the 60s, when, when a lot of things, were, when, when Mexico City was the center of, you know, Russian operations for the, for the, uh, for the communists back then. You know, uh, Fidel Castro trained his forces in Mexico before they went and took over Cuba. Uh, so obviously, the U.S. has had a hand and influence in Mexico and has been doing shit in Mexico. And right now, most of it has been related to sending money down there for the war to be fought down there, basically outsourcing the drug war. And it has not been working. Some of those funds have not been put where it need, they need to be. I you think it's done more I, harm than good. I think it's I think it's uh, I think it it has done nothing. Specifically. Is it because we, we've made poor choices in who we're trusting with these things? I think so. I think. Uh, well, I'm, so think about it this way. You said you were kept um, in the dark as a mushroom. You know, like you didn't really get all the information. So, in, so, 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 the, so, so the Americans would say, treat them like mushrooms, you know, feed them shit and keep them in the dark. That's, yeah. that's, that's jokingly, uh, that, like, that, that may be a thing that's, that's, that's what they said, that, that was said about us, you know. And I get it, you know, tr- you know, I wouldn't trust myself if I met myself back then, you know. 
Right. Yeah, but uh, it's a uh, it's interesting seeing that relationship between the U.S. and Mexico as far as who the U.S. bets on in Mexico. So they traditionally would bet on having a military SAR related to drug policies in in Mexico, and traditionally the military has been on the take in a lot of ways at big levels, right? Uh, then you switch over to, well, we're not going to use the Mexican military. Now we're going to use the, 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 the Marines, the Mexican Marines. That's who you saw doing El Chapo, the, the raid on El Chapo's mm-hmm. uh, house. Well, now there's been several cases of uh, uh, Marine Special Forces units uh, being utilized as bodyguards by some of the members of the Sinaloa mm-hmm. cartel. Uh, lavish houses that some of the leadership within some of these uh with some of the Mexican Marines uh, uh, leadership, you know, lavish giant houses, apartments and shit like that, that they have. Um, Do you think people violate their morals down there because they're, because of poverty and they get an out of that poverty? I, 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 I never else. heard anybody. I, I mean, it's cultural, culturally Mexico is completely different than the United States as far as uh, the, the rule, you know, Mexico is pretty good about getting around the small rules. So when you grow up, the big rules really don't matter. I mean, as a human, uh, you know, like if, if we know that we're we're trafficking a human person, or we're gonna yeah. we're gonna we're gonna traffic this fentanyl that's gonna kill people, you know, like they like kids are gonna freaking die, man. Lives are gonna be ruined, and this is my life's work. You know, we have to. I, I don't believe a person can do that and be of high moral character, but a person of fairly reasonable moral character can get roped into it if uh, their family is going to be killed if they don't do this, or uh, I can't take care of my family, but if I do this, I can take care of my family. You know, like what, so, yeah, I'm trying so to get I into mean, the psychology a little bit to understand yeah, sure. it. Sure. Uh, I mean, uh, everybody gets offers. You know, I got offers. Everybody gets offers. Uh, one thing you learn early on is if you, if you take any of these offers, you're already, you're inside of somebody's pocket and mm-hmm. there's no way you can get out of it. Right. Uh it's basically you start a blackmailing process. You take them out, you take money from one side, and the other side will know that you took money from that side. So now you're a target. Uh, and if you don't do your part, then you'll be called out by the side that gave you money. So now you're really a target. You know, um, small rules, small small things get broken first, and then the big ones don't matter. Um, getting some getting into somebody's pocket at an early stage in your career. And then getting placed into a position of power later on, where you can be able to do more in your own. It's it's an ownership thing, you know. Um, some of us kept clean and have been ke- keeping clean for for you know for our whole time there, and it's not easy. It's not rewarded. It's not the easy path. No, you're ostracized. Uh, I still get this to this day. I'm not even active anymore. Uh, my record's pretty in the open. I've worked with. I mean, I've worked with the Secret Service. Uh, I've worked with the FBI. I've worked with the C- uh, I've worked with the the SEALs doing training. I've, I've been to some places that I shouldn't be allowed to go into if I was a corrupt Mexican police officer that was somehow arrested and or cast out of his job. Right? My background has been fucking checked several times over. Uh, still, when I say where I worked and what I did. The stigma is always uh, you're a corrupt cop in Mexico. That's you immediately go there, right? So, is there imagine a lot of guys that, like you. Yeah, a lot, There's of, good a lot guys. of guys like me. That's a good lot of good know. guys. That's good to hear. A lot of 
the problem is that they don't get uh, they don't get show, you know. They don't get a they don't get a they don't get a voice. They don't get uh, talked about. You only hear about the guys that end up in the news uh, with the uh, two uh, Mexican army guys next to you as you're being put on a plane to Mexico City to get the uh, bag over your head. That's the only Mexican cops you hear about, uh, or the ones you see on Netflix. You know, uh, you know, the sexy uh, narco guy and the corrupt fat cop that uh, you know gets uh, off because he didn't do his part. Uh, it's 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 a, it's a so another another big part again when you talk about you know the corruption levels in Mexico. Uh, Mexico has uh, I think it has I mean and I can speak to it from my own personal experience. It's a conquered nation. It's a colony. Uh, uh, it was a Mexica empire and then it turned into a Catholic empire and it, it's, a, it's just gone through a bunch of changes as far as, you know, identity goes. Uh, but things that remain are uh, memories of its violent past and current very bloody violent uh, present. Uh, uh, cultural elements of people being for themselves and not for each other. You know, if, if if you find if you find a wallet on the ground, open that wallet and stuff the money in your pants and figure out where to dump the wallet. Uh, that is taught at a young age in some parts of the of the country because desperation, poverty. You know, uh, Mexico is a rich ass country. It's rich. It's just the distribution part of it is right. not. You know, and also. Well, you have too many people corrupt and and control and in power. You know, we, we have the same problem here on a different scale in the United States. The the almost the exact same problem. You know, it's just not to the extreme yet. Well, it, what you talk about not to the extreme yet. Mexico just went through the biggest. Uh, the U.S. just went through the biggest uh, propaganda campaign against police officers in its history. Absolutely. So now, and again, my experience. I was never a police officer in the United States, uh, but I do classes for police all across the country related to cartel activities and shit like that. We're talking so, about some stuff that, that people think is far out right now, right? And no, I'm no, cool no. With it because like I, I, and I, and I, I have a lot of trust in you. Um, yeah. And then some of the stuff I, I am you know, broad overview, somewhat familiar with some of it's brand new to me. So it'd be super interesting, but I have a theory on on this this law enforcement propaganda thing and it's a scary one and i don't, I don't i'm not saying it's conspiracy theory or anything else but this is uh, i believe that the powers that be the uh, the people that i believe are, are very anti-american anti-founders anti-constitution um i believe they are work they're, they're not dumb we see the things that people pass in law some things people care about and they talk about and they post about politician wise um and like what a kind of dumb move is that that's the dumbest thing ever defund the police uh these people are not dumb they are very, very smart. They have a grand strategy of removing self-reliance and obtaining complete power and control. Uh, and you know, the the everything else is just a tactic. All these demasculation and everything else is just tactics they use. The, the main goal is to end self-reliance and put reliance on them so they have more power, more control. But at the same time, these these uh, police officers, this propaganda against them, you know, nobody's going to come. I, I train police officers all the time, SWAT teams, tactical teams, the guys that would be going into houses to take guns from people if that were to happen. I am sure they, they tell me that there are a couple of officers on their agency, maybe a couple of them in leadership. Um, and this is all over the country, all over the country um, that may go in and be supportive of, of gun control. But the guys that are actually kicking in doors, blowing up doors, ramming doors, all this stuff, 
Um, nobody, nobody, they're 100% of these guys that come out of classes, not a chance. And I'm not talking about what they're telling me. Like, I know these guys. I've, yeah. I've, spent, I've sweated with them and worked with them and, and had conversations with them and ate lunch and dinner with them. And these are not the people that are going to come take your guns. It's not going to happen. But they okay. are the people that are going to quit and go find a new line of work eventually whenever yeah. they just can't do this job anymore. And those people yeah. that are going to replace them are going to be the people who will come into your house and take your guns because that's what they want on the police force. So they're, they're, yeah. they're, there's, there's been a great migration yeah. and a shift in policing in this country in this past year. We just had 10 years of, of policing cultural change in a, in a matter of, of, of 12 months. Um, think about it this way. Recruitment is down. Standards are down. Uh, I, as a, as a former cop in Mexico, was shocked by the fact that you can stab a dude in the middle of the neck in some parts of uh, Los Angeles County and not get cops called on you because, you know, there was an epidemic going on. Yeah. There was a shortening of staff going on. You know, there was, uh, there was, there was stuff going on. And, you know, you, see, you saw people just get fucking murdered and the cops would show up eventually. Right, there come a point when they won't they won't show up at all. There's certain parts of the country now that don't have a police force after the uh, the epidemic, and also after some of the defund the police stuff that went on mm -hmm. in certain parts of the country. You know, um, so standards are lower. Uh, who's who wants to grow up to be a cop anymore, or to go into the military? Right. You know, and and uh, uh, oh, have you been watching country, what our what our U.S. military is doing and the commanders are it, doing? This uh, is that's uh, this I've, is I've been so scary. At, I've been looking at that and seeing it as a, you know, uh, I don't, I, 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 I don't know how to view that as a, like I grew up, I grew up in the, I grew up in the eighties and nineties, uh, seeing a U.S. that is not the one that I'm in right now. You know, it was a, it, it, it's, it's strange. It's a strange thing to see. Uh, but you see the corrosion. It's a, it's a corrosion. And, you know, I've experienced certain levels of corrosion when it comes to the ability of the public to trust the, 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 the police forces. I know what that leads to. Uh, I know what, uh, what, uh, what types of people will fill in those voids for community if the police goes away or if the police becomes the bad guys in some of these places. Mm -hmm. You know, there's always somebody willing to give protection, you know. And I'm not talking about, you know, <laughs> private security. I'm talking about, you know, paid protection shit going on. And it's it's going on right now in this country. And, yeah. you know, just not at a level, you know. But, uh, well, they're also untouchable. Like a lot of the the, the big cartels and the, and the people that the cartels are backing and, and the political scene in Mexico. Uh, we have the same thing here. You know, we exactly, like we have blatant 100% corruption. We'll see this one person burn and go down in prison for life for this because they were like a, a military officer who didn't really even do anything wrong. Um, but then so if you're a member of the political or social elite in this country, uh, you are completely untouchable. There's nothing they're going to do to you. You know, they, you might be in the yeah. news for a couple of days and talking about something bad, and then we won't hear about it anymore. It's all over. Uh, I you you see this weird uh I don't know, it's like uh you know, I'm new here. And you you say that some of those guys that kicked in doors that'll you know go into a house, SWAT guys won't take part in disarming the population. Uh I think that's not the end game. You know, people worry about they're coming to take our guns. No, it's not the end no, game. That's just a no. that's just a step. That's a tactic. They're, yeah. they're, 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 
they are coming to make having a gun be not the thing to do. They're coming less than human, just like yeah, not wearing a mask or not getting a shot. They're coming to make a single blanket federal firearms law. They're coming to restrict what specific types of calibers, rounds, or magazines you have. They're coming to make it hard for you to practice with said gun, uh, magazine, or caliber. Absolutely. Uh, they're coming to make it so hard for somebody to maintain any level of proficiency that people just will either give up or hide them or bury them or just store them until the rounds become not a threat to people, you know, generationally. I think what pe people fear this sudden, we're here for your guns, give them all, you're okay, now you're all disarmed, now we're in control. It's gradual. It's gradual. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't see that happening. But so we, we, we see a little bit of that every once in a while with the red flag thing popping up a year and a half ago and, and some guns were confiscated over some... I, I, less than due process. So it's those little pockets. And I think, you know, in the military, we call that probing. You know, we, yeah. when somebody, when somebody's probing the lines, somebody's probing where they, they think they're, let's find the, the surfaces and gaps in the defense and, so, and they're, they're filling it out. So, so Mexico is very restricted when it comes to firearms for civilians. Uh, people don't know, but there is actually a, in the con in Mexican constitution, there is uh, there's a part in that constitution that talks about guns for self-defense and having, be, having the ability as a Mexican to have one in your home for self-defense. Uh, but somewhere during its history of upheaval and corruption and you know not being able to provide the basics, uh, the basic uh, you know needs of you know life and, and liberty and security for some of its citizens, citizens, uh, all that was lost. It's not only lost, but it was actually given up by people. You know, people would give that uh, people have hand over their guns. They, they do gun drives and they people just hand over their guns. Interestingly enough, most of these communities also see an uptake in robberies and shit like that when these things happen. But, you know, that, that doesn't get reported on. Right. Mexico has a single blanket firearms law across its across the board. It's not like each state has its uh, say as far as what it respects or what it doesn't. And the single single federal federal firearms law basically monopolizes the manufacturing and distribution of firearms and rounds to the Mexican military. That nobody nobody else can sell, distribute, or do anything with firearms in Mexico that isn't the Mexican military. That's one aspect of it. How's that? The calibers. Out? I mean. You, <laughs> right watching news right there's a you can only own certain calibers uh there's a bunch of restrictions and there's a single firearm store in mexico in mexico city so if you want to buy a gun in mexico you have to be able to purchase a plane ticket to and from mexico city from where you're from go there and buy this overpriced uh, gun, you know a lot of the selection they sell is just basically just imagine the most funny piece of shit gun out there, that new latest and greatest gun out there that you wouldn't want even as a toy. Uh, that's usually what is on the stands for people to buy. Uh, you buy it, you do a bunch of paperwork with it uh, for it, and then you fly back to your home and store it in your house. And you can't practice it with it unless you're part of a shooting club. And that's, a, that's an expensive thing to be a part of. Yeah. Uh, so basically, if you're not upper middle class, Having a gun is not an option for you. 
the Mexican government is currently asking people to disarm themselves that are that are basically policing their communities against cartel forces in central Mexico right now. They're giving them an ultimatum to disarm because they're going to do a massive push in there with federal and state forces to try and clean out cartel presence. This is a place where cartel presence has been a part of the daily living since you know, 20, 30 years back. And all of a sudden, the Mexican government, oh, we're going to clean it up. With who? You know, With who right. are you going to clean it up? Because some of the state offices they're utilizing are probably, probably part of the problem. Um, on the other hand, some of these self-defense forces that raise themselves up, that can featured in you know documentaries and stuff like that, are all former cartel guys that basically just go and switch their T-shirt into a white one, and now they're community policing. You know, so there's a lot of that going on as well. There's a lot of BS going on throughout. Mm -hmm. So if you're Charging Mexican, people if you for want protection. Yeah. Yeah. That's the always game. Yep. Yeah. Uh, uh, so there was a, a documentary out about some of these community police uh, uh, vigilante group that showed up uh, on the scene a few years back. And everybody was focused on, ah, they're, they're sick of the cartels. So they, they, they armed themselves and now they're, they're, now they're, you know, fighting back. Right. Uh, all the leadership that, that, that all the leadership in those groups are in jail now for a bunch of corruption, murder charges, and a bunch of other things. A lot of the people that were part of those groups were actually cartel members that just switched sides or went back home to protect their homesteads. Uh, and also there was a bunch of illegal Chinese iron ore mining in the region, coincidentally enough. So uh, it's a, the, the, the problem down there is complex. And the, the, the fact that you can't own a gun in Mexico or carry it unless you know somebody, unless you have a solvent, like economic solvency of a certain uh, level, and the, you know, the citizenship doesn't, you know, doesn't have a say in it. The cartel guys have, you know, anti-aircraft capabilities. And the military, and the military can shoot a, a minigun into a city to try and take down a cartel force guy. But you can't own a 22 caliber revolver. Are you going to get clapped, you know? <laughs> Every time you talk about the things that happen, though, you're, I've been to war. You're describing a war zone, man. Like it's, there's a, a war zone happening without a yeah, doubt it's, it's it's a war zone i mean and also like, like we can we can talk numbers as far as how many people are dead in mexico from this drug war which is interesting enough mexico doesn't call it a war <laughs> of uh, uh it's, there's never been a, a war you know the only one that said that was president presidente calderon and he was you know he failed at it so the current president says there's no war you know Abrazos no balazos, hugs not hugs not bullets is his is uh, motto right now against as far as cartel uh, related uh, policies. He's in their pocket, uh, right? I mean, you know, it's uh, it's it's clear to anybody that that cares to look that uh, he is basically on the side of uh, down there. Uh, but you know, for citizens that can't arm themselves, right? They can't buy bullets, you know. Uh, you know, I, every now and then we would encounter, you know, marginalized communities out there. We would go somewhere, we would find a gun somewhere. And, you know, in somebody's house uh, during a raid or something like that, or, or just chasing somebody. Uh, some of these, you know, I remember finding this nickel-plated Saturday night special little pistol. It was a, a 380 caliber and two magazines and the rounds had green on them, you know. And I found it 
I looked for I looked for the owner of the of the little basically fucking it was made of cardboard and pieces of wood and plywood and stuff like that. There were two ladies living there, two children and an older male. And I asked the older male about it and says, oh, it's for, for protection of the house. And, you know, am I going to arrest this person? All right. So I just unloaded the Exercise gun. Exercise a little bit of officer discretion right there. Unloaded the gun, told him to keep it in a higher space for, for the kids not to get to it. And left it, you know, I just left it. And that was a very common scene down there. Is he going to be able to do anything with that 30, 380 pistol with rounds that are probably older than I am against uh, somebody that rolls up to his house and wants to pick one of his daughters to take to a party or worse, you know? Yeah. Uh, you know, people call me an alarmist because I like pull up that example. That is an extreme example, I know. Well, no. Well, they're, they're being it. It's it's a perfect example. They're being denied what I I feel was the most basic human right: protecting yourself <laughs> yeah, and those that you love. Yeah, uh, the ability the the ability to have the means to protect those you love and yourself, and to sustain the and to sustain the just the ability to do so by training and or shooting a gun at a range and or just being proficient with it, you know, because there's, there has to be with any right, there has to be responsibilities. Right. I think, I think that should be an internationally protected human right. And places where that is under attack is usually places where the shit back. The worst places on the planet. Going on. Yeah. I mean, not that we don't, uh, we're, we're without problems here in the United States, but it's yeah. not the, it's not the good guys carrying guns that, that are the problem. Uh, yeah. But everybody knows that. We don't want to preach to the choir. Um, yeah, I know. You mentioned about yeah. the daughters picking it up, and I was talking about myself, not you. Like I, I didn't like I started going down the, the typical Second Amendment talking points. That's just like the I, I don't like echo chambers. I like having conversations, you know. And and I, I've been guilty in the past of just saying things that people in the gun world cheer me on about it, you know. But we all uh, know it. I, we all agree it. So uh, I, 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 I caught myself that, starting that, to do that, and I was trying to stop myself. I, I get. It. I mean, I, I can. Uh, I I sometimes talk about my pro Second Amendment uh, views because I come from a place where we don't have that as an availability. But also, in the same in, in, in the same conversation, I can talk about rounds and firearms bump through the border down to Mexico and being utilized for a bunch of crimes uh, that are part of you know private firearms purchases that then get smuggled down to Mexico that then do some harm down there. Yep. Uh, and that is unpopular to talk about uh, when it comes to the gun community. But no, well, you no, know, you know, us, us good guys, second member supporters, we're, I'm totally against that. I want to take any action possible to stop that. Like, I, and sure. I, there, there's people out there who don't need to be buying guns. And I, I am not, I'm not, I don't pull any punches on that one. They're not, the gu- guns are not for everybody. I, 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 I understand that. But bad if, people. If, if, if I, if I can grab anybody that isn't in support of that, the right to bear arms. If I can take somebody that's adamant about that, put them in a car with me, drive them 30, 30 hours from the border into one of the margin, some of these marginalized communities uh, that are that are assaulted by not only the police in the area, but also the cartels, and ask some of these community members if they would want the ability or the privilege of carrying firearms for their safety and the, uh, that of their community. In a heartbeat, all of them would say yes. Maybe. I all think of a, them. I, I hope you're right, but I, I think uh, the people that I talk to on the other side, 
it's so much easier to fool somebody. I think Mark Twain said that than it is to convince them that they've been fooled. And yeah, they'll they, well, instead they'll they'll rely on that. Oh, that'll never happen in the U.S. That'll never happen here. We can look at every every instant in history where where gun control became widespread and like, hey, it's for your protection. Do this, and we we could cite those all day long, and it all ends in massive mass murder and tragedy every single time. Just like in Mexico, it's ending in mass murder and extreme tragedy. Uh, but you said yeah. something here, and I know I've kept you a lot of times, and you're you're with your family, and I know you're busy. Um, but I, I, before we leave, I do want to hit something. Uh, if you if you have the time, the um, sure. you mentioned about the the cartel member coming and picking up that gentleman's daughter who who had the three eighty. Um, could you just get? I, I want to just from your experience because I, I don't think I've ever talked to anybody who just has as much firsthand knowledge on this as you. But it's something that really concerns me. That it, it's it's a it's your concern to everybody in the on the planet, not just in the U.S. But we're talking about you know, the sex slave industry, human trafficking for multiple different reasons. This is, this is, and I'm not trying to freaking virtue signal here or anything, man. I I even wrote a little short story about a dude who's trying to find his daughter who's caught up in that after he gets back from the military and his wife got caught up in drugs. Uh, It's like a little fiction story. And he's just, he's just a a super spook going around smoking bad guys, looking for his daughter and and getting to the bottom of the investigation of this. Cause I, cause I can't go out to truck stops and find where this is happening and kill people and not go to jail. I can't go out myself and start murdering people and be a vigilante that are doing this. So I created a fictional character to do it for me. So I don't spend my life in prison. Uh, but there's nothing that I think I would like more than to be a part of a task force that goes and kills people who are freaking putting little girls into to sex slavery and, and all that stuff. It's just disgusting. So I, I'm just, I want to know what's really happening because I've heard it being hidden and, and some stats being lied about and, and being sound like it's not as bad. So I'm just curious what it really is. Uh, you know, people keeping count within cartel circles of how many people get crossed into the southern border and then get crossed into the U.S. border is not a thing. You know, uh, what you do see in here is people talking about, you know, three girls being with somebody when they crossed into Mexico and now those three girls are gone. You know, 13, 12, 13 year old girls are just going missing on their way up. Uh, it's not a secret that most females that make that trek across Mexico are raped on their way up. Yeah. Uh, and the pretty ones are recruited for other work. Um, right. Uh, also another weird aspect of Mexico that not, doesn't get talked about. Well, when you all. say recruited, could you, yeah. could you pause there and tell me about how that happens? How that works? Is it like getting addicted to something money? Uh, no, you just, promises? uh, you have, you have three women here. It's like, Oh yeah, we'll, we'll take you the easy route. Get in the car. Mm-hmm. You don't see them again until you go to a brothel somewhere and right. they're there, you know, uh, interesting enough. Some of them get paperwork really quickly in Mexico. That's another, you know, again, corruption. Uh, kids, uh, young kids, children, a lot of children are unaccompanied minors. Are, it's a big thing. They're getting tossed over the border. And some of them are getting unsupervised, abandoned at the border, that then go up missing. Uh, well, Mexico has a big problem with not solving murders. You know, 90 some percent of all murders in Mexico are unsolved. So if you're a serial killer or somebody that predates on human beings, this is a perfect space for you. Like a predator playground right there. They just caught a guy in Mexico City that had 40 bodies buried in his backyard. And he was going to, you know, he made a mistake. That's uh, if people want to 
I want to dig deeper into what happened in Juarez and the killing fields on the border, how, how hundreds of women disappeared there and, you know, just showed up, died and uh, dead on the, in the desert. Right. Uh, couldn't be one so, a single guy doing that whole thing. It was like a group of them. Right. I'm, when I, uh, I'm not, I'm not talking about crossing the border here in this next question of like getting sure. trafficking across the border, but I'm talking about trafficking humans for nefarious reasons is that a problem in sure. the United States? Yeah, uh, you know, uh, abduction capital of Mexico, uh, the United States is Arizona. A lot of people end up in Arizona that get distributed across the country for different reasons. Uh, a lot of these, a lot of women that are coming out of places like Venezuela, very attractive women coming out of Venezuela, now immigrants, are being basically bussed all the way into the United States for reasons unknown. You know, uh, being flown to Canada and then walking down. Uh, or, you know, sailing into the U.S. in places like Lake Superior. You know, all of a sudden you see these uh, women that are very exotic looking like, you know, that had a pretty interesting trek. Where are they going? You know? Um, Great question. Slavery, slavery is a real thing that is alive in the United States. And it's not in the past, it's in the present. Yep. During, during the COVID epidemic, the stocks, the the stock uh, vegetable aisles were were there, and which means that legal immigrants picking those vegetables are an essential worker in the U.S. So, uh, and they are in in the, they are there because they're paying off a debt to some of the coyotes that they crossed the board that crossed them into the U.S. Mm, like Basically it's servitude from getting them in here. Yeah, that exists. That exists. You know, I, yeah. I know this this country is in an uproar over things that happened in the past related to slavery. It's happening now. And, uh, you know, well, we, we've never been really guilty of keeping our priorities in, in, in check. I, I, you know, it's, it's, it's the go governor, the governor of California's winery, Governor Newsom's winery was open during uh, COVID. And I've been there and I've talked to some of the people that work there because I sabla español. And yeah, it's, it's interesting that the, gov the governor of uh, California has, People that are paying off debts, as far as how he, you know, how they came into the country to an entity that is probably nefarious. You know, think about that. And this, they are they are they trafficked people? Yeah, they were trafficked across the border, and they're paying off a debt to stay in the U.S. They're being taxed by somebody. You know, it's 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 it's. It's an interesting thing, and it's uh, as far as far as where it's happening and at what time it's happening. You know, it's happening now. It's not something in our past. People need to kind of pay attention to some of these things that are happening right under our noses and stop thinking at a, a thinking of the problem as a Mexico problem. It's a regional problem. It's a problem that is you know in your backyard now. Uh, How can in they? A lot of places. How can they pay attention for the listeners? Uh, out there? Well, uh, I will. You know. Uh, I have a news source that I work with directly called Demo There. And it's basically talks about specific news as far as what's going on in Mexico uh, and some of the things that are going on the border, how things are changing down there constantly. All of our sources are, we try and verify all the sources and stuff like that. So that's one way that people can kind of look at things. Uh, another way is to, if you have a local or state representative or somebody you voted for, uh, call them and tell them to, start auditing what money is being used for, for to fight the struggle down south where's it going 
why is it that the U.S. has been paying for this drug war, drug policy in Mexico through things like uh, uh, Plan Merida, which is like a bilateral agreement to pay for some of these things down in Mexico? Why is it that the money has been consistent, but the drug deaths, murders, extortions, number of just criminal groups out there has grown? Last year was the most lethal year to be a Mexican in our history. You know, why aren't Americans screaming for accountability from the from the government to say, well, we've been paying for all that. What's going on? There are. Ed, does our government today, know about this? Yeah, I, 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 I mean, it's I just because the people aren't outraged about it. Yeah. And calling uh, they're, for they're, change. They're, they're not they're, touching it. Uh, it's I mean, again, I, I have I have a lot of. A lot, a lot of a lot of people that I work with that are all races and creeds across this country, and I'm not downplaying any of their struggles. But I have, you know, friends of mine who actively yell and scream and protest about reparations for slavery, and we have slaves now. You know, like yeah. talk, let's talk about those first. Uh, there are currently eighty thousand people, eighty two, eighty two. 82,241, according to most accounts that I've kind of looked at directly, there are 82,241 people missing in Mexico, not murdered, not uh, buried and gone. They're just missing. That's a population of a, of a small city and town in the, in the U.S. So, you know, this is, this is a number that, that gets tossed out there, but just think about it, you know? If you had 82,241 Americans just just missing and also the, the amount of dead that we have down there, uh, Americans need to call what's going on in Mexico what it is. It's a narco-insurgency where the government is not to be trusted. There are multiple sides to it, and there are foreign actors working within Mexico against U.S. interests. That's what that that's what that giant wasp's nest of a country is, uh, and it's right across your border. It's not going to be like pulling into Iraq. It's not going to be like Afghanistan. It's going to be its own thing. Um, you you have already militarized the border in, on some occasions in our recent history, and it has not played out like most would think it would. Uh, it's also a pretty delicate thing when you talk about the Mexico being one of the U.S.'s biggest trading partners, and all of a sudden you're going to block off that wall and not let anything across, and you're also going to go into guerrilla warfare fighting in some parts of the country and trying to try and get at some of these uh, well-entrenched criminal forces that are now dispersed in the civilian population. So it's, it's people ask me for solutions, man. I'm, I'm it's so complex. It's so complex. It's a complex thing, but it is something to worry about. It is definitely something to worry about. It should be a priority of things to sort out, uh, for the U S uh, just, I mean, regional stability aspect of it is, I think I need to go like sit somewhere and process all this for a little bit. That was uh that was some pretty intense stuff there, man. I, I did. I, I want to, you know, I, I've kind of like a lot of the symptoms of what's happening down there, you know, that I, I've 
I've been concerned with, you know, potential threats on the United States. Uh, I got a buddy I was eating dinner with a few nights ago and he's um, an ICE agent. He's not with ICE anymore, but he, he was on the border um, in, in Texas and was, it was telling me that he was interviewing a guy and nobody could, he was speaking Spanish to him and, and everybody was speaking Spanish and he wasn't responding. It turned out that uh, he speaks Arabic, you know, and he was telling me about that. And so like that, those are things that I've always been looking into and, and being concerned about. Um, and then the human trafficking well, side of it and the sex slavery and the indentured servitude and that kind of atrocities are things that I've looked into and, and tried to stay up on, you know, the best I can. Um, but you just opened up a whole freaking new can of worms. Like this is so much more of a, of a complex situation than, than I think I anticipated. And I, I think most people probably did, unless I'm just an idiot. I, mean, I, I have been guilty of being a complete freaking idiot many times in my life. Uh, uh, I don't know. I don't know how to. I mean, I, again, I'm I'm just a kid from Tijuana. Uh, I don't know a lot of things. I just have my experience to kind of base most of my opinions off. Uh, Islamic terrorism was a th- is a threat, and it's still a threat, but it's not the biggest threat to your country right now. Uh, a regional destabilization of a country that is right next to you is also your biggest trading partner. It's probably big on the priorities list. That should be big on the priorities list. Uh, the fact that it has a president that is openly leftist, pro Maduro, pro uh, pro Ch- pro Chavista guy, uh, who has a, a populist guy who's who's clearly you know not Team USA basically, uh, and how that's becoming the norm in a lot of parts in South America right now. That should be something that people should be concerned about, um, and. It's, it's 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 such a complex issue, uh, but you know, Islamic extremism is a thing to worry about. Of course, I shouldn't. I, I think there's things that are eating away at your society, like fentanyl laced uh, yes, heroin, for sure. Uh, that are, that are are actually more of a threat than somebody, uh, more of a threat than somebody trying to you know do something as far as a terrorist act on the on, on u.s soil that, again know, back to our priorities like yeah. I, I i love don't don't make any mistake if you're a new listener to this podcast I, mean, I freaking love my country and i i i spent many years in the military until i retired um didn't want to but i was willing to to lay down my life and and for what my country asked me to do and uh there there's few things i hold or hold in in higher esteem than than the u.s flag um the only thing I do hold in much higher esteem than that is is what that flag represents, and that's the individual liberty and freedom and our independence and 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 what we were founded on that we have gotten away from. So uh, I know I, I said, but I, our priorities are out of whack. You know, right now we're we're so we've got we've got millions of people dying uh, from heart to disease and obesity, but but we're promoting that. You know, like that's a beautiful thing. It's wonderful. Body positivity, blah, blah, blah. Not freaking get healthy so you don't die of heart disease. You know, like not do this, but but COVID, you know, you're going to die of a heart attack way before COVID gets you, you know, or this and that. And the, 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 our priorities of what we're actually fighting against, well, we got to save the kids and, and get rid of guns, you know, but really, you know, we've got, there's a bazillion things we should put before, you know, these things that are happening because we have got a lot of problems that's taken a lot more good people off of this planet uh, unjustly because of mistakes that we've made as a society and, you know, as the, as people that we've elected have allowed them to make mistakes. Um, 
you know, and we, we're still, and we still even go down the path. Us Second Amendment people go down this path too. And there's probably some listeners out there that will disagree with me on this. I absolutely despise the idea of a federal firearms reciprocity, that the federal government says, if you get a federal license to carry, you can carry in every state. Um, written in the way I hear it explained by Second Amendment people, uh, I, I'm just not a fan of the federal government having power, period. If they're not doing something yeah. to protect the people, they shouldn't be doing it. You know, they, that's, that's it. Um, the states are, are, I'm a big individual liberty guy. I don't, I don't really care what you do. Just uh, be a good person. You know, that's it. Yeah. Um, and so, the, uh, it, and the, we, we get away from these things, the, the founding principles of our country, because things feel good. And, and we want to be a part of a tribe. So all these different sects out there, people on in social media, developing this group think, and they all want to be part of a tribe. And, and, they, and even they don't even believe this BS that said that they're saying and they're posting and sharing and everything else. But they know that the tribe of the people that they want to like them do believe in it or pretend like they believe in it. And, and they all do this thing. So we have so many things that we are pretending on a mass scale right now. And like yeah. everybody's like, no, like, I'll say it right here uh, on this podcast. There, there is no, I, I can't believe that there's a human being out there who thinks um, a born male, physically fit, tough, awesome, crazy, awesome athlete can identify as a woman and can compete in women's sports where the women could get hurt or, or they could, or they, they're going to dominate. Like we see that happening all the time. Um, I, but we all pretend like that that's an okay thing. I don't pretend like it, but there's a lot of people who do even, even on TV, like they're, they, they, you can tell by the way they say it and the way they talk, they don't actually believe it. They don't believe it. And I, I don't no. care. I don't care if, if what somebody identifies with. I don't care what bathroom you use. I, I think second amendments for everybody. And I, I love people, man. Like I, I don't, I don't care you know, what your sexual orientation is. None of that matters to me as a person. I don't care what race you are. Like none of that, none of that. I don't care. I, I like humans. I like good people. And, and, um, none of that, and I've got friends that are transgender. I've got friends that are, that are gay. Don't, don't, doesn't matter. I got every from the military, man, but I, but I love them, you know, I'll die for them and they would die for me. And, and, and we've gotten away from this, 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 we've gotten so much into identities and everything else and we've lost freaking common sense and, and we're, we're going down a really bad hole right now. And, and it's worrisome. Yeah. That was uh, my, my I'm, Sorry. I'm not, I'm never going to be uh, Latinx is not a thing. So I'm never going to be one of those guys. Uh, when I uh, went through my immigration process, the first thing I, that was offered to me outside of the offices uh, were a bunch of uh, programs related to me being on government welfare in certain ways. Uh, that's, that, that is what I was greeted with when it came to being an immigrant in this country. So that is, as far as my American experience, that, is, that has been... I think I've been five years into it. Uh, that was what I was received with. Uh, another interesting thing that I was received with is that I have more in common with new immigrants from, let's say, I've, I've met this Vietnam, uh, Vietnamese immigrant. He's probably in his 70s, pro-gun, you know, loves, loves the U.S., has a big flag outside of his house. And then I met his son, who was very not about that, you know. And it's interesting that I was sitting next to somebody that wasn't born in this country as well. And I had more in common to him than his son. Yeah. Uh, as far as, uh, you know, uh, I don't know. Seen the other it, side. It, well, you know, uh, victims. His son was a victim. His dad was a maker, a protector, a worker. Uh, I, I literally came to this country with nothing 
and I am doing pretty well for myself. I've uh, never asked for a handout. I, the first thing I did when I came here was look for and like just what am I going to do with, 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 with my time? Right? And work. Found it. Now you're busy I, all the time. I have, uh, have three employees. In five years, I have three employees and I am working and I can't imagine myself anywhere else in the world doing this, uh, doing what I do and also loving what I do and loving where I am. You know, I, I see more of the U.S. than most Americans every week when I travel across the country doing classes yeah. and not only doing classes, but getting into conversation with people, you know, uh, from all types. You know, I've enjoyed this conversation with you. The uh, you know, you you said that a second ago you you walked up to something, but you didn't you didn't hammer it. Uh, you said he was a victim and what his dad was as a protector and a, and a creator and a maker. Um, you know, we we have an epidemic of professional victims right now too. That this 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 causing yeah. a tremendous amount of problems and and if, and murdering common sense. Uh, if you have a victim mentality, you have the privilege of saying that the police should be the only ones with guns. That's a privilege. It that's is. a that's a privilege. Uh, uh, not everybody gets that. Not everybody gets that. Hey, yeah, you're from Mexico. Like, oh, the U.S. has been horrible to your country. That's why you're here. They're fleeing there. You should be more uh, vocal about the, the, Yeah, I am. You know, the U.S. has done some pretty bad foreign policy shit in, in, in Mexico. And it should review and take more into accountability as far as how the money it sent that sends out there is being utilized, you know? Yeah. Okay. But also I can, uh, you know, I can walk around in some parts of the U S and not get, you know, be afraid to get picked up by a fucking van with a bunch of dudes, uh, carrying AK 47s on the back of it, you know? Yeah. And, and like, Mexico I, I hasn't move. been exactly innocent either, <laughs> you know, over the and, years. Yeah. It, yeah. Also Mexico has been definitely not innocent about its own, right. its own uh, situation, you know? Um, so we can go into the whole victim, victim mindset and just everybody's at fault for what we don't have, you know? Yeah. But what, what, okay. So what good does that do? You know, or we could spend that uh, energy trying to get it. it trying to get it work out better. Yeah, main thing I was to tell people that I have a lot of people that are really vocally against me and are haters. I always ask them this. What have you done for your community or country in the past five days? Great question. Right. Uh, I do charity work a lot. I do classes for free for people that do medical uh, missions in parts of the world where they might get picked up or some horrible thing might happen to them. And they're, they're legitimately doing God. Uh, I go down to Mexico, even if I'm, uh, I have some risks related to it, to talk to people that are part of the migrant caravan situation, to talk to former members of law enforcement that I used to work with that are now working, uh, working certain, you know, uh, as activists uh, trying to get rights and benefits for some of the people that were lost along the way that are forgotten. Uh, I, you know, you talked, to, you talked a little bit about your country and how you, you, the flag and what it represents and stuff like that. It's an alien concept to me. I, 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 I w when I left the job, I got, uh, I got an open investigation on me when I left the job. <laughs> we're trying to figure out why I was leaving. Uh, there was no party. There was no parade. There was no no benefits. 
you know, nothing, you know, if people scratch their head. Why are all these cops just flipping sides and going to work for the cartels? They have no support from the yeah. government or the people, you know, what does that they're all like? viewed. They're, they're, they're all, they're all viewed in the same kind of color. Um, so coming to the U S and trying to make my way. And also one of the things I always tell people, I'm trying to earn my way in, in this country. That's I always say, I always, I always keep myself real with that. You know, I'm, I'm trying to earn my way into this country. When I say earn my way, I'm working for that. I'm working by, you know, using my platform to do a live video during the Portland riots, day 101. So people can see that directly. You know, Ed, what the fuck are you doing at the Portland riot? Uh, I'm from Mexico. Trust me, that's not the scariest place I've been. Right. <laughs> uh, there was there, there there were a there was a snack cart in that protest. <laughs> so, uh, but I just wanted to get to see it, though. You know. Oh, Ed, I'm, I'm doing this. this I'm doing the same thing, and I think a lot of a lot of good Americans out there are doing the same thing too. And um, I uh, the I'm not trying to earn my way into this country. You know, I was born here, so I was I was fortunate and, and gifted that at, at birth. Um, and uh, I do believe that was fortunate for that to happen to me. And but I, I, I we need to continue to earn. Yeah, what this country can be for our kids. And for our grandkids, yeah. and and we're failing. Um, at least, <laughs> at least if we look at the news reports, which we can't really trust, we're failing. But I still believe uh, that we are a quiet majority. The good guys are a quiet majority. We're just censored at every turn, and and we're and but the more we get censored, and the more the truth gets out there, um, the the longer that takes for the truth to get out there, and the more longer the censorship happens the more young impressionable people are swayed permanently to the other side because we won't be able to convince them that they've been fooled. And, yeah, and that's a dangerous thing. Uh, I, you know, take some of my stuff from the news and I also go out there and talk to people. I've been to a few universities and had university students explain to me what Mexico is like. <laughs> we're, right? we're so arrogant, man. It's so ridiculous. Yeah, oh, it's, 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 uh, again, I, I take all of that with, you know, they're young. I know I was young too. At one point in my life, I thought I knew everything. And then I got, Me fucking, too. you know, chewed up by life. Uh, but it's pretty, you know, this alarming when I have a college student uh, somewhere in the U S tell me how all of Mexico's problems are the U S and how, uh, I don't know how, the U.S. is so bad, and this is bad. And the U.S. and the U.S. All this, but he's living. He's living in a dorm somewhere in the U.S. And stop by Starbucks university. on the way to class. You know, on the way to class. You know, it's like I, designer I just, jeans, I, iPhone in his pocket. I, I took a big breath, you know, and he he was around, surrounded by other people, and I said, "Well, you know, uh, I'm from the places that you were talking about. You know, I not only work there." I live there. I have family there. I still go back there every now and then. And if you're telling me that, you know, that is your perception of that place that you've never been to and you're basing it off some stuff you've been resharing on Instagram and TikTok, then there, 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 there's, there's some, there's some, there's some, there's some problems with your worldview. Um, yeah. Uh, people that talk about open borders, or people that talk about, you know, they have the migrant caravan, let them all in. 
again, come down with me. I can show you what some of those uh, migrant, uh, migrant camps are. I can show you how some of the donations you sent down there are get, getting resold in the open air markets in the back and getting just making money for the organizers. I can tell you how some of these people are being led into uh, relationships based on lies and getting basically just taken for all their money, all of the, all of the little money they have by some of these organizations and how Americans are you know, coming down there and giving them money, giving them supplies, and all that is being basically utilized to run a business and feed the guys at the top, not the guys in the at industry. the industry. And also that's propagating people getting tossed over the border. Uh, people that are applauding the change in immigration policy, or at least as far as the enforcement on the border, people that are applauding that are also applauding the fact that the cartels that control that border are making bank at the moment. Yeah. They're applauding the fact that children disappear across the border. They're, applaud- they're applauding the fact that people are, that their kids are being tossed over the border and breaking their legs on their way down. Applauding slavery, uh, endangered servitude. They're, they're applauding the endangered servitude and slavery. Rape, you know, murder. All of that. They're all applauding all of that, and that's all part of it. They can't separate it from that. And you know, I went through the immigration process legally, and it was not easy. It took me a while. It was bad, it's stressful, and it is not an easy process. But it's also, from somebody from my perspective, it also isn't fair for somebody to just recommend all that and get to not only have the benefits of being in the States, but also get other benefits of being in the States. And that, as a, as a in my immigrant experience, is pretty kind of unacceptable, you know? I think a lot of more people like me that have gone through the process legally and have some of the, you know, I think then also that people, Americans have to figure out is that most Mexicans are very conservative, very conservative in yeah. their viewpoint. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just that we just went through, a, you know, quite of a quite a while of us being labeled the, uh, you know, <laughs> the bad ones or the bad you know, guys. I, I saw by, the same thing in Miami with Cubans. I lived in Miami yeah. for a year, a couple of years ago, and uh, I, I didn't realize that, you know, and then I'm talking to people and I'm like, wow, okay, like yeah. they've seen the other side and, it's, and it's they only, don't want to go back. It's, it's only when they turn into Latinx, that's when something, I don't know what happens, you know, they put something in the water or something like that. Now they're Latinx people and now they're talking to you about your culture, you know, eh, but that in Mexico is this, Mexico is a beautiful place. You're always talking about the bad stuff. What parts of Mexico have you been to? Right. You know, that's usually I ask them. That. Cancun? Oh, here, here. Yeah, yeah, of course it's nice there, you know? You know inside but, uh, inside you the know. fences and the gates. Yeah. With but the yeah, armed security. Come, yeah, but come with me to some of the places that I've been to, like where, where, the, uh, where the people don't move aside if you point a rifle at them because they see them every day. So yeah. Come, come, come to a place like that with me and we'll, 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 we'll talk about realities, you know? I wasn't a tourist agent down there. I was I was a police agent. So, uh, and my the main part of my activism is to bring light and voices to those people that don't have them. So, uh, yeah, it's 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 a weird time and place to be a, uh, an immigrant in the United States and to see some of the things that are kind of happening and changing. Well, Ed, I'm I'm glad you're here. And if nobody's told you recently, I I really appreciate your service to our country. And thank you. It's uh, I mean, I know you do a lot of stuff with a lot of organizations out there that maybe at the top of the organizations 
don't have the American public or Mexican nationals interest at heart, but I do know a lot of the guys and I know, you know, them too. And they yeah. do, and they really do. And I think most people yeah. don't get that. Um, and if we can keep them in there long enough and, and keep them alive and safe and, and learning, and maybe one day they can be in charge of some stuff and, and maybe make some difference. And that's, that's all we can do as individuals. Yeah. Don't, don't, I mean, I get, don't generalize again. I, I've done classes with Border Patrol. I've seen the levels of humanity some of these guys express yeah. by buying toothbrushes for kids out of their pocket. Uh, I've, uh, I've, I've seen those sides of them as well. I've seen some of the bad sides as well. You know, I'm sure. we're not saying that there's, 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 there's it's all good. Um, but uh, yeah, that's, that's a, I think that's a problem. You know, you know, quiet professionals in that field should be a bit more loud. <laughs> but uh i mean Maybe. that's not in their nature yeah. that's not in their nature i guess uh but yeah i get to have conversations with people across the across the country from law enforcement to military and i know they have a level of humanity in them that is completely colorblind as far as you know what they're doing you know you know the whole following orders and being uh and being a public servant or being a servant to this country is a foreign concept for the vast majority of this country which is Another thing we should, you know, people need to kind of reconsider the whole, the whole aspect of just going into service. You know, if it's rare in the U.S. that for people to go into service, imagine places like Mexico, man. I was a leper, you know. But what the fuck are you doing? Man? Where are you going to go to work? How much are you going to earn? What are the risks? Uh, according to MetLife, I had the most dangerous job on the planet during the time I was in. So, and trust me, I didn't get rich off it. All I got was a, all I got was a few uh, concussions, um, broken, uh, broken nose several times over, a few missing parts, and uh, probably some serious know, mental trauma. Pro- pro- probably some serious mental trauma and a few stories about donkey shows. That's about it. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I, I bet I, you're I, full I, of I, good I, stories. I bet you got you just got tons of stories, tons of them. Uh, uh, yeah, and they, you know, I, again, I'm still out there. I'm not, uh, I'm not working for the government anymore per se, but I'm still uh, working on my the business side of it. And a big part of what I do is activism, and it's low key activism. I'm not, uh, I take up small causes and give it, give them a voice and expose some of the things that people don't want to talk about through my platform. That specific thing is what I'm trying to do with it. You know, Ed, where can people uh, go to to see what you're you're working on and, and the causes that you're after and and how and see how they can help and and possibly train with you? Sure. Uh, website www.edsmanifesto.com. I have a course calendar there. There's a blog. Uh, we talk and there's a link to the charity Niños Perdidos that we have. Uh, Niños Perdidos means uh, the lost children, um, specifically related to supporting very at need uh, active agents that are working in Mexico and some of the uh, orphans that were left behind by some of the. And you know, uh, this money is going somewhere good and it's not getting misused. Uh, I am documenting every cent uh, and uh, actually taking that money to them personally and documented it for documenting it for the people that have supported us and the people that are, you know, part of the, the donation drives. So yes, everything's going to be documented. People are going to know where the money goes to, and it's going to be basically handed off by me personally or one of the people that works for me. So yeah, um, and also the, uh, the the on the U.S. side again, 
we made over four thousand dollars for the Ryan Terry Foundation. I'm currently working on a uh, on a uh, donation um, uh, auction thing for the uh, Recon Sniper Foundation. So yep, there, it, I, I I do I do uh, again. I do, I'm not one sided with my view. Like I'm again, I'm invested in this country, but I'm also looking back a bit to where I came from. So I'm trying to do things on both sides of the border. So www.fmanifesto.com. And I'll have that in the the show notes in the article where people can go click that and get right there if they want to. Um, and also his Ed's Instagram and, and other social media that he has. I'll, I'll have it all in there if you want to go give him a follow and, and see what Ed's up to. You know, I I want to end this with with saying if you if you hung out this long, you know, Ed's not a crazy whack job. You know, like this is the first time I've actually spoken with him, but um, you know, we very well connected in the farms industry. We have many mutual friends that I trust immensely. I know them very well. Uh, leave my kid with them. And I leave my kid with like four people on this planet, you know, and there's not many. And, uh, and cause he's the most important thing in the whole world. I, I don't feel any red flags, any, any weird, crazy snake oil salesman, uh, far conspiracy, nothing. This is a guy who knows what he's talking about and everything else you've heard is flat out fabrications or in some cases lies to cover the truth. And I, I we're fortunate to have you on the show. Fortunate to have you in the country oh. helping some of our organizations. If there's anything that we can do to, to give you a hand in the future. Uh, I, I, I offer people often on the show to, to come back on the show. I, I love a lot of the things we talked about. And I learned so much in this conversation. I don't know how many stories you can tell or leave out names or whatever else, but man, I would like to have like story time with Ed in the future sure. where like sure. I, I know you've got just tons of crazy stories uh i've heard a couple yeah. of them david was telling me a couple of things that he kind of heard through the grapevine and stuff stuff that maybe you don't always talk about and some other stuff and uh that was some pretty interesting stuff that that came up and i was um he didn't give me all the details but he's like if you can get him to talk about these things but i didn't try um <laughs> but they uh but i might in the future because i i just know you're full of them and so uh, thanks, Ed, for joining us, and uh, it was a pleasure. Uh, folks out there listening, hope you enjoyed that. Got something out of it, something to think about, something to research, something to be a little bit more aware globally and and for our country. And uh, I hope you stay safe out there. And until next time, the Mag Life out. <laughs>